Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. And we'll be reading from verses 1 to 10, but our main focus will actually be verses 1 to 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Well, before I begin, I would like for us to review several principles from the book of Proverbs that I believe will aid us in our text this morning. Now, you may recall that we said that the book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. And the wisdom contained in this book is specifically defined. Previously, we made several observations concerning the book of Proverbs. First, we said that true wisdom is based upon divine revelation. Though Solomon is the author of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is ultimately God's word, and it's thus authoritative. In other words, when Solomon speaks, God speaks. Second, a proverb is always true, but may not be true for a given situation. The classic example of this is Proverbs 26, verses 4 to 5. Proverbs 26, verses 4 to 5 states, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. And then it immediately says, Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he be not wise in his own eyes. So which one is it? Should I answer a fool or should I not? answer a fool? The answer, of course, is yes, right? There are times when we are to give an answer to a fool, but then there are other times when we should remain silent. Third, we said that wisdom is also relational. By that, I mean that wisdom is based upon a relationship with God. Fourth, Wisdom is not only intellectual and experiential, but it is also practical. In other words, wisdom should produce wise behavior. And fifth, wisdom is characterized by righteousness, justice, and equity. Now, as we will see in chapter 3, these five principles will factor into Solomon's third lecture to the wise son. 
in verses 1 to 10 of the chapter, we find a division where there is a command given in the odd verses and then a related blessing in the even verses. And so, for instance, keeping the commandments in verse 1 leads to the blessing of long life and peace in verse 2. Maintaining kindness and truth in verse 3 is followed by the blessing of favor with God and man. Later in verses 5 to 10, we see specific commandments that are directed towards God, as well as the specific blessings. In verse 5, trusting in the Lord leads to straight paths in verse 6. Fearing the Lord in verse 7 produces healing in verse 8. And honoring the Lord with our wealth in verse 9 produces prosperity in verse 10. Now, as I mentioned, we will specifically be looking at verses 1 to 6 this week, and then, Lord willing, verses 7 to 10 next week. And so the division of commandment and blessing will serve as a framework for our outline today. This morning, we will consider the following three points. First, wisdom brings life and peace. Second, wisdom brings favor with God and man. And then third, wisdom brings righteousness. Now consider those terms for a moment. Life, peace, favor, and righteousness. These are just some of the blessings that accompany wisdom. First, let us consider that wisdom brings life and peace. Again, we read beginning in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Solomon first says to the wise son, do not forget my teaching. Now this word forget can simply mean to not remember something. Or it can mean to cease to care about something. And there are times when our actions communicate that we cease to care about something. At least in the moment. It's as if there is a temporary lapse in our thinking, and we forget. Now, in some instances, forgetting can be a blessing in itself. I think of forgetting the old paths of sin. This is a great blessing for those who may be struggling with the sin of pornography. There's a point where you cease to care about the sin. Your mind is not consumed with it, nor the pursuit of it, nor are you enticed by it. Another example are words spoken. While there are some conversations that we never forget, thank God we don't remember every single one, right? I dare say that we would lose our minds if we were to remember every evil word spoken to us throughout our lifetime. 
This is a mercy from God. And then there is that blessed promise of God in Isaiah 43:25. It says, "I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins." You say God forgets? Yeah. But when he forgets, it is not like when we forget, right? When we forget, that thought or that idea, whatever it is, is gone from our minds. But when God forgets in terms of our sin, God is not holding that sin against us. He is treating us as if we had never sinned. And this is one of the greatest mercies of God. Now, on the other hand, we are troubled by the fact that we forget so many things, right? Husbands, if you've ever had to take your children to the doctor and then the nurse asks that question, what's your child's birth date? And then you begin to start pulling out that calculator in your mind and adding and subtracting and then after a few minutes, you still get it wrong, right? Well, sometimes forgetting can have more serious consequences. Like if you forget to turn off the iron before leaving the house, and then you return to your house, and it is a pile of ashes. Or you forget to take medicine for an illness, and that results in further sickness or even death. Typically, right, we try to remember medication if it's that important. We try to keep that in the forefront of our minds because our very lives depend on it. Likewise, our spiritual health is dependent upon what we remember. We must remember and not forget the teaching and the commandments. Now, the wise son will often remind himself of the, of the fundamental truths of the faith and often return to it. He will remember the goal as well as what is at stake. Now, in the first place, We must always remember the goal of teaching. The goal of teaching is that you would increase in your love for God and your love for man. These are the greatest commandments. The two commandments upon which all others are summarized. And so my goal for you this morning, as you sit and listen to the word of God preached, is not for you to know more, but for you to love more. Knowledge is the path, but love is the destination. And when we arrive at that destination, the path will no longer be needed. Say, what do I mean by this? Well, recall what Paul says about love and knowledge in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, 
If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And then jumping down to verse 8, he says, Love never fails, but if they are gifts of prophecy, they are done away. If they are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Again, knowledge for now is necessary. But the goal here at Grace Fellowship Church is that you would increase in your love. So remember the goal, but also remember what's at stake. What's at stake is life itself. Again, Solomon puts it this way in Proverbs chapter 3. He says, But let your heart keep my commandments for a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, Solomon is not only speaking of the commands given in this immediate context, but I believe that he is referring to the commandments in general. And while all the commandments are in view, the fifth commandment is in view in particular. Again, the fifth commandment says in Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, do you see how the Proverbs repeats this verse? Keep my commandments and length of days and peace will be added to you. Deuteronomy 15, 5, 16, that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives to you. Now, just a little bit about the mention of the land. Under the old covenant, there was a promised land. Right? This was a physical land of peace and blessing. This was the land of Canaan. Now, remaining in the land was dependent upon the obedience of the people to the commandments of God. Therefore, the ultimate curse was exile from that land. Now, under the new covenant, it is revealed that the land of Canaan was only a shadow of the one to come. Canaan pointed to a spiritual land of peace and blessing. This land is the new heavens and the new earth. It is the place where the invisible and the visible are one. And long life promised under the old is everlasting life in the new. It is life that will never run out. And this is the ultimate promise in which all wise sons and all 
wise daughters will partake. And while ethnic Israel failed to keep the commandments and were ultimately exiled from the land, Jesus Christ, the true Israel, kept the commandments perfectly so that we would never be exiled from heaven. Now, having said all of this, we must understand that this promise is not entirely future. The promise of length of days and years of life and peace also applies to this age as well. In this age, God gives length of days and peace to those who honor their father and mother and to those who, Solomon says, keep the commandments. And so it is true, generally speaking, that believers are kept from all manner of self-destructive lifestyles through obedience to God's commandments. In other words, godliness will keep you from much harm. Now that is not to say that Christians never die young nor experience any turmoil. Sometimes death and trouble comes not because of sin, but because of righteousness. Again, think of the Lord Jesus Christ, who honored his earthly parents throughout his life and kept all of the commandments perfectly. And yet, not only did he experience suffering, but he even died in his 30s. From this example, we must remember that while wisdom provides temporal benefits in this life, we must not set our hope on these things nor forget the greater benefits of the life to come. Well, having considered that wisdom brings life and peace, let us move on to point number two, which is wisdom brings favor with God and man. Again, in verse three, we read, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Solomon first mentions the word kindness. Now, this word kindness is translated as loving kindness in the LSB. The idea is closer to mercy as it is translated in the King James Version. And so, as one commentator notes, he says this about the verse, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, or... Forsake not them, and the exercise of them. Show mercy to fellow creatures, to sinful men, to the bodies of men by relieving their wants, and to their souls by pitying and praying for them, and by giving them wholesome counsel and advice to fellow Christians. Sympathize with them in their troubles. Put on bowels of compassion. Be tender-hearted and forgive offenses. And in a spirit of meekness, restore backsliders, for God will have mercy and not sacrifice. Now, who does this sound like? Well, again, this sounds like the wise son of Proverbs, Jesus Christ. You remember what it says of Jesus and his ministry in Matthew 9, 35? 
The text says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Christ again felt compassion for the people. He was full of mercy and kindness. And this was at least one reason for him healing and teaching the people. But Christ was also full of another characteristic that Solomon mentions. And that is truth. In fact, Christ says of himself that he is the truth in John 14, 6. That is to say that he is the real deal. What he says is as he does, and in him there is no lie. Again, another commentator states, truth is a representation of things as they are. The life The purity and the teaching of Jesus Christ was the most complete and perfect representation of the things of the eternal world that has been or can be presented to man. The ceremonies of the Jews were shadows. The life of Jesus was the truth. See, that is my pursuit, brethren, that I might be like Christ in this manner, that I would be so transformed by God's truth that the truth is all that remains. That the same outward manifestation would be the same inward reality. And this is what I believe Solomon gets at when he says, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Solomon is saying, let kindness And truth outwardly adorn your life as well as permeate your heart. Take the carving knife of God's words and engrave his teachings upon your heart. For when you do, there is a blessing that follows. Again, Solomon writes, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Now, in the first place, the word favor means to obtain acceptance or to be gracious. The word itself carries with it a positive disposition towards someone or something. It is used, for instance, to describe gracious speech between friends in Proverbs 22, verse 11. Proverbs 22, verse 11 states, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, that's a word for favor, the king is his friend. So Proverbs 22, 11 is saying that holiness and favorable speech may even cause a king to look favorably upon a servant. And so the lesson that we can draw from this is as follows. 
Not all believers will be repulsed by you. Some unbelievers, because of your godly living, may even be drawn to you. They might say, for instance, such and such is is a good guy. Now, this happens because of common grace. Not everyone is as bad off as they could be. Again, bosses in general value things like trust and diligence. And your mere presence in a business may cause it to prosper because you have found favor with God and he blesses your work. This in turn causes your employer to look to you with favor. A good example of this is the example of Joseph in Genesis 39 verses 1 to 4. We read, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. What if, brethren, we worked in such a way that it gave an opportunity for the gospel and an opportunity to glorify God. What if, through our work, men saw that heavenly-mindedness does actually produce earthly good? And perhaps that goodness may yet lead them to repentance. Well, going back to Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon mentions another part of the reward, which is translated as good repute. You say, what does repute mean exactly? Well, the word repute means the opinion generally held of someone or something, right? You hear, you listen to the word reputation, the word repute is in it, and it means the same thing. Now, the Hebrew word translated as repute has a range of translations. In the KJV, for instance, it is translated as understanding and then as insight in the LSB. Other versions translate the word as high esteem or success. Now, it is true that those who hold fast to kindness and truth do find favor and good success, and are highly esteemed in the eyes of God and man. We've already seen that in the case of Joseph. However, I believe that the word is best translated as understanding or insight. The idea then is to be regarded as prudent or wise in the eyes of God and man. In other words, to have a well proportioned measure of kindness and truth 
especially when it comes to our speech, is wisdom. So don't just seek to be someone who speaks the truth, but someone who speaks the truth with kindness. Hold fast to both these things. For when you do, you will be highly esteemed. You will be viewed as wise, and you will find favor with God and man. Well, having considered that wisdom brings favor with God and man, let us now consider our final point, which is wisdom brings righteousness. Again, in verses 5 to 6, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Now, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about paths. As you read through the book of Proverbs, um, it mentions it. And really, there are two paths that are described in different ways. We've already observed the mention of a crooked path as it is contrasted with the straight path in Proverbs chapter 2. In Proverbs 2.15, we read, Whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Now, if you recall from a previous Bible study, Solomon in these verses is here speaking of the evil man who walks on the crooked path. Now, the evil man and the crooked path are also contrasted with the path of righteousness. Later in Proverbs 4.18, we read, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Now, a path in the book of Proverbs refers to a way of living. There is a righteous way of living, and then there is a evil way of living. There is a crooked path as well as a straight one. Now, Solomon encourages the wise son to trust in the Lord and not himself. For if someone trusts in the Lord, he will be made righteous. This is the gospel in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. God is the one who declares a man or a woman as righteous. But not only does he declare us to be righteous, but he also makes us righteous as well. And what we are declared to be is what we actually become. And so we see that righteousness and righteous living is not attained by our own understanding, but by trusting in the Lord. Now, in the book, Finally Free, the author presents the chief strategy for overcoming the sin of pornography. And his words ring true, not just for dealing with sexual immorality, but for mortifying all manner of sins. He says, Forgiving grace is only part of the power Jesus gives. God's powerful grace also gives us strength to live in new ways. 
Forgiving grace is wonderful and essential, but sinners need more than forgiveness. It's not enough that a record of debt is paid. We also need grace to live like Jesus. We need grace that changes us so that we could be like him in holiness and love. He then continues to say, God's powerful transforming grace is available to you, but many people don't know how to make use of it. Having the power of Jesus to change without knowing how to use that power is almost like not having that power at all. If you want to use Jesus's transforming grace, you have to do something so easy that many people find it impossible. You have to believe it. Again, do you hear the words of Solomon in this? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Now Solomon also says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. This is Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What Colossians 3.17 is exhorting believers to is to live one's entire life Corum Deo. Right? Corum Deo, that, lad, that Latin phrase that means to live your life consciously as though you're living your life in the presence of God. And so, children, young people, you know what this means, right? It means that I'm not one way with church folks and then another way with my friends. It means I'm not compartmentalizing my life. No, who I am is who I am 24-7, seven days a week. In public and in private, I'm living my life in such a way that I'm only seeking to please one person. And that person is God. Now, this makes life easy. You know, truer words have never been written than by that of Richard Baxter, who once wrote, If you seek first to please God and are satisfied with that, you have but one to please instead of multitudes. And a multitude of masters are harder to please than one. Now, though it is impossible to please everyone, some of us will still try. Listen, we can't even please a small group of individuals, much less everyone. Again, as someone else wrote, it is fruitless to try to please men because each person is different and therefore by pleasing some, you will inevitably displease others. The author continues to say, it is futile to try to please people because even Jesus Christ, the perfect man, did not please everyone. Now, if Jesus couldn't please everyone, 
What makes us think that we can? Again, children, young people, adults, do not seek to live a double life. Instead, live life with your eyes upon Christ and as if Christ's eyes are upon you. For if you do, God will make your paths straight. Again, life, peace, favor, and righteousness. These are just a few of the blessings of wisdom. And as we will see next week, there are others that accompany it as well. Wisdom, as we will see, brings healing and riches in verses 7 to 10. But is it the type of healing and riches that prosperity teachers preach about? Well, Lord willing, this will be the subject that we take up next time. Amen? Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word and the truth of your word. We thank you for what you teach your people in the, uh, in the Old and, and, in, and in the New Testament and how your word is to be taken as a whole. Lord, we thank you indeed because your ways are ways of, of life. Your paths are paths of righteousness and truth and kindness. And I pray, Lord, as we continue to walk through and, and study the book of, of Proverbs, that we might be motivated to be more and more like the wise son of Proverbs, Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit work in our lives in such a way that we indeed mortify the deeds of the flesh, that we live in such a a manner that we bring glory to God in all that we do, whether we eat, whether we drink, at work, in the church, out in the world, that all of our life and the whole of our life brings glory to you. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.